Welcome to the Faith Driven Athlete Podcast. If you're an athlete, coach, or sports fan driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected is to sign up for our free monthly magazine at faithdrivenathlete.org. We'll compile the best videos, articles, and resources written by athletes across the country and bring them to you once a month. This podcast, of course, doesn't exist without you, our community. So while you're on the site, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you and any questions that you might have for our guests. We just have a passion for wanting to raise up the next generation of sports industry executives that first of all, recognize that they're going to have significant cultural influence because if you work in sports, right or wrong, you're going to have major cultural influence. And, and then realizing as a follower of Christ that we have a responsibility to leverage that in a way that brings glory to Christ. Welcome back, everyone, to the Faith Driven Athlete Podcast. Sports, well, it's a multi, multi-billion dollar industry. And while we all watch our favorite team on TV, Few of us really know all the work that is going on behind the scenes to make that happen. Today, we're talking to two professors who are preparing students for jobs in the professional sports world. Darren White is the executive director of the Center for Sports Analytics at Samford University. And Kirk Wakefield is the executive director of the Sports Strategy and Sales Program at Baylor University. Together, they're going to walk us through and talk about the money behind the game and the future men and women who are about to enter this profession. Let's listen in. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Athlete Podcast. As we always have, we have another special edition. I say that every time, so you're going to say, how special is it if you say that every single time? And yet it is. We're going to be talking about a topic here in the world of sports with two men that are driven by their faith that are going to give us a different perspective on how we think about the business and the numbers behind sports. And this has been interesting to me as I've thought ahead to this podcast. My uh, wife, Kimberly, and my three boys and I just watched Moneyball. I'm starting to understand that there's such a thing as sports analytics. It can actually help a team to win. And we all know that there's a lot of money that is in the sports world. We know about TV rights. We know that those athletes that we watch on TV get paid a lot of money. We know that there's a lot of money for universities. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the business of sports from two guys really serious about their faith, really serious about their craft. And we're going to introduce each in turn. I'm going to start off with Dr. Darren White. Darren is the Chair of Entrepreneurship Management and Marketing, which I love because many of you have come over to the Faith Driven Athlete Podcast from the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. And so we've got a guy who's the Chair of Entrepreneurship Management and Marketing at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. And he has done a lot of really interesting work in his past as an athlete and as a coach and then as the executive director of Sanford University's Center for Sports Analytics. And I'm looking through his bio. He's worked with some of the most amazing sports teams that we all know in the NFL and Major League Baseball, MLS, NBA. He's worked with the Cowboys, Bayern Munich. My kids went on a pilgrimage to go see the Bayern Munich Stadium, which is awesome. The Dolphins, the Falcons, Atlanta United, NASCAR folks, a whole bunch of people. But actually, I want to start off, Darren, and ask you about something that I found out about you, that you served as a judge for the Yahoo Sports Technology Awards Gala, the Oscars of Sports Technology in London. What was that about? Who won? What were you doing there? Yeah, so every year they have a competition for you're just really encouraging innovation, technological innovation in the world of sports. And 
pretty remarkable some of the things that are being done now and using technology in sports in various ways. And so it's an annual event that's, you know, it's in May and it's in London every year. And so there's multiple categories, but some of, you know, you had like FIFA won an award uh, in the last few years, Wimbledon's won one, one of the NBA teams out on the West Coast, trying to remember which one it was. I think Golden State Warriors, they won an award, uh, the Tour de France. How do you win an award? Tell me more. I'm a huge Warriors fan, so you got me. What did they do that was innovative and different from everybody else? Yeah, well, so like, for example, one category might be how are you using technology to engage fans? And to have, you know, really bring the fan into the, through social media or through apps or through virtual reality. And so there's just a lot of different ways that teams and organizations are using technology to improve that fan experience in venue or while you're watching on TV. And so if you've done something pretty cool and you think it's neat, you can submit it. And so teams from all around the world submit every year. And then the judge panel, we look them over and ultimately, you know, we make the award. Okay, I want to stay on that concept here just a little bit more. A lot of us have been hearing about 5G and the way that it's going to be impacting the way we interface with sports. You've been watching these trends. You've been consulting with a bunch of these teams. What do you think is going to be different about the way that my boys and I watch sports in five years? Well, I think that, of course, at Sanford, we have the Center for Sports Analytics. And so we're hedging our bets big time that data is going to become more and more a part of the fan experience. And I think you're going to see that uh, as we continue to progress, you're going to see more and more data and analysts coming into the viewing experience. And so I was just watching a Bundesliga game, for example, on Saturday, and it was so neat. Some of the things that they're now doing as you're watching the soccer and some of the things that you get to see that are coming at us from an analytic perspective. So that's definitely going to be one of the, the big changes as we move forward is more and more analytics uh, are going to inform our viewing experience. I want to ask you one thing, though, Darren, and that is on the sports analytics side. Malcolm Gladwell had a podcast interview that I listened to where he talked about the underhand free throw shot. You're a sports analytics guy, and he was making the case that Rick Barry and others were right when they went ahead and shot free throws underhanded. Is that true? And is there any other parallel that you've seen in other sports where sports analytics have changed the way that the game is played? Uh, to answer your first question, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, have, I, don't have, I don't have the data to look at on that one. Now, if you want to provide me some data, we'll get a yeah. sharp student to uh, dive into it. That'd be a fun project, actually. So yes. Uh, yes. But, uh, we're engaged in all sorts of projects like that. For example, right now we're looking at uh, – the impact of home court advantage across all of college sports and how that should play into the seeding of national tournaments. And that's a, mm. an example of something we're looking at right now. But yeah, as far as a sport that's been probably impacted the most from analytics it would be baseball. It's been around in baseball longer and uh, MLB teams have invested more in analytics than any of the other sports. Uh, I think you're going to see it happening in the other sports and you already are to some degree. But if you look, for example, at the defensive formations that MLB teams have played over the last hundred years. Really, up until about 10 years ago, there was just a very few teams that ever tried anything different than your basic sort of four infielders and three outfielders sort of an idea. And last year, if you go back and look at it, it was in the thousands, the number of different defensive formations that MLB teams employed really? in different situations. And so, and again, that's a really relatively new in baseball. So tell me more about that. I used to be much more of a baseball fan than I am right now. And so I didn't see much of that happening over the last year. So are you saying that instead of just third base, shortstop, second base, first base, right, left, center field, 
they were mixing around at four outfielders and I'm like big time. <laughs> really? Yeah. And like, yeah, they'll sometimes take a, an infielder and drop them into the outfield. They'll yeah. sometimes move the, uh, you know, the second baseman over onto the other side of the diamond and move the first baseman all the way almost to where second base is, where there's almost no one on the right side. And it goes on and on and on. It's gotten down to the level now where even the outfielders are being told where to be exactly on the field. I mean, like take two steps to the right sort of thing. I mean, uh-huh because they've done enough analytics to know what the likelihood of where the ball is going to end up uh, based on the pitch that's coming. And so it's totally changed baseball. So Kirk, I want to go over to you and I want to stay with you for a little bit. We were talking about this concept of a flywheel. So you're a guy that's been involved in really looking at the science and the business of sports sponsorship and sales at Baylor, which is just big time sports. And you've not only done fan research at Baylor, but you've gone ahead and taken your craft and you've gone to the NBA and NFL and MLB and NASCAR. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing from your perspective as you have just looked at trends of where fans are going and behavior. What are some key things that you're seeing that maybe are going to change our experience and how we experience sports? Yeah. Well, a couple of different angles that you make me think of, but the first one, the flywheel idea is that it always strikes me as students and y'all can remember when you were in school, but I remember students will say things like, you know, I really want to do something creative. I want to be in marketing or something. And you go, well, that's great. But the way you get to be creative is by knowing everything else that's going on. So you know what the new thing is. It takes a while to know, you know, enough about a certain discipline or certain area so that you can be the one with the next great idea for a new restaurant, new whatever it is, right? So, you know, it's taken Darren to me a few years, uh, a little bit of vintage style that we are now uh, to be able to know what we're doing. You know, kind of what's on the horizon. What I think about is, uh, in fact, we're doing our own little podcast coming up soon with the head of commercial research for F1. And we're going to do some polling of F1 fans. And one of the questions that we're going to ask them and then share the exciting results, you know, is for what sports is watching the game on TV as good or better than attending or which ones. So if you had a ticket to a game, you know, depending upon where you're sitting, but particularly for the upper bowl, for what sports would you just as soon, frankly, watch it at home if you're in the upper bowl, if you will, compared to not. And one of the things we think that for what you're seeing is, you know, for a lot of games, if I'm going to sit up in the rafters, you know what? The experience is really pretty decent at home on my 75-inch screen TV, you know, whatever you have now. Uh, And as those prices keep dropping still, and that tech improves, the question you asked earlier was, how's 5G going to influence things? The way that's going to influence it, the two biggest things I've heard, in fact, uh, our son, who's the new S3 director coming on board, Lane Wakefield, just was telling me that with, think about redoing their website, entrepreneurs, that the next thing with the 5G is, you know, video speed and voice control. So what I picture that meaning is you're at a game or wherever you are, and just like we do now with, I better not say her name because I got one here, but if I say that, right, then I just want to say, hey, I Show me that last replay. Yeah. You're right. And so you're doing it on your phone. You're at the game or you're not at the game. Doesn't matter. Show me that. And that's what 5G will bring to us. So it's interesting you're talking about F1. There are going to be some number of F1 fans going to take issue with this. I would say that F1 is one of those instances where I would enjoy it at home. 
Well, that's um, why we're asking it. Sounds Perfect. good. Yeah. And I'll tell you, uh, just a quick plug. We've been really, really impressed with the Drive to Survive Netflix series that shows the life behind the scenes of F1. There is some very colorful language in it, but if you can get beyond that, it really has made my whole family, and surprisingly, my wife, who's not a motorsports fan, fascinated by the world of F1. So Kirk, I want to stay with you. You have a sports strategy and sales program at Baylor. how did you come to do that? And what is that program about? Yeah. So back in 2002, when I started as the department chair at Baylor's marketing department, came in in part to help come up with sports something, right? So that was the rage, still kind of is the rage now. But I knew this, we didn't want to start a sport management program. No one hires a manager of sport out of college. So what should that be? As the Lord would have it, I uh, met Daryl Lanus, who has been selling sponsorships at Baylor Athletics for 19 years, mind you, <laughs> with some tough years to sell. And he wanted to move over to the academic side. So we put sales and sports, my research and consumer behavior background, fan psychology and so on together, and had the idea, but then, and here's kind of the entrepreneurial tip I would give that I'm sure many of the listeners already know, but before we got going, we first went to prospective buyers, if you will. We went to the San Antonio Spurs where we had an in, talked with their COO and said, if we did this, would you? And what were some of those ifs? Yeah. So if we had a program in sports sales, sports sponsorship and sales, would you take our interns and would you hire our products, if you will, would you hire our students? And so Russ Bookbinder was the COO. Now he's the head of San Antonio Sports Commission. But I remember he said, yes, as long as you promise to give us the best ones. And he said, sure, done. And then we went around the rest of the state and said the same thing, basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I asked, if we did this, would you? So we've called it, and one of our other colleagues kind of dubbed this somewhat the 3D you know, approach of demand. So you the demand from consumers to so the students, the demand from the industry, sports industry, if you will, and then kind of the demand, if you will, or even the supply of professors, you know, who's going to pull this off, right? So any firm, you got to ask that question, right? So you got the demand from two different sectors, yeah. if you will. Now then, but are we any good at supplying that? Good news is we were. So. So that's a great, there's a lot of parallel, of course, there with with just business. It's going out to your prospective customers and and saying, what do you need? And and if we built this, would you buy it? In your instance, that not only are you getting people who are going to potentially be hiring your students. By the way, so we, we've established that the Spurs get your top candidates. Did the Mavs then get your second tier? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, they both of them great partners. Pretty much all the teams in Texas are, well, we call Spurs, Baylor South, because wow. they've hired so many over the years. But the Mavericks have hired, gosh, I don't know, it's a lot. I'd have to think good to count them. So certainly in proximity to Waco, Texas, they've hired a lot. Yeah. Just like I'm sure with Darren, it's more likely going to be than a few states of or hours of where sure. you're located. But I think what's great, in fact, how Daryl and I have said it, and Darren, I expect you have said the same. When we explain why things have gone well, we just kind of feel like the story of Joseph, you know, just God was with him. I don't know if we're any smarter than the next dog, but God was just with us and organized and orchestrated and engineered circumstances. And we just paid attention and followed. Mm -hmm. 
So Kirk, one of the things I've heard you talk about is just revenue, obviously is just the lifeblood of so much of this in sports. Could you paint a perspective for us of just how much growth there has been in just the world of sports? How much revenue are we talking about? What's the size of just the economy, if you will, around sports? Yeah, I don't know the exact number anymore. Darren may have it directly off the top of his head, but I was going to say it's big. <laughs> sure. Um, sure. You know, well, could could you shift maybe then to point perspective of just maybe the rate of growth that we've seen? How are we outpacing other areas, industries, sectors? Is that what's kind of creating the demand to staff this industry well, at that level? Yeah, let me answer a slightly different way. I think everybody that's listening knows that sports is huge, so it's not like we have to make that case. I think what is more interesting is what we're going to see in the next 10 years. We're starting to do some research on location-based entertainment, LBE, and that's expected to grow to a $12 billion business, I think it is, by 2023. And its growth is spurred by millennials who want in real life IRL, they want in real life experiences. So we've had so much tech in front of us, there's a huge appetite for location-based experiences, otherwise known as your entertainment, sports, but concerts, trips, something in real life because everything we have is so virtual, not to mention we've been zoomed out of it in the last, you know, three months. Right. But this was going on even before that. So I think what you're going to see is a huge uptick in people wanting experiences, which includes sports, uh, but it's going to have to have the technology piece there because what good is if I can't share with my friends, you know, where I am, what cool stuff I'm doing. So put a little more skin on that, because, I mean, when people think experiences around sports these days, they might think of the pregame pass on the sideline, the field pass. I mean, that's been something. It's got to be a small piece of the revenue, maybe a big piece of the marketing. But what are some of the other things that you're seeing this move into? So the trends that we're seeing now, you know, I heard some love for for soccer across Europe and so forth. But the big trend now is, is to turn into destination entertainment you know, locations. So Barca, you know, we did Camp Nou and now it's this huge complex. Most everybody now that's got any kind of money, same thing at Wrigley now, you know, they bought out the whole section of town around Wrigley and there's hotels and restaurants and everything. So you come there, not just for the game for crying out loud, you're coming there for a couple of days, maybe you're more, um, or you come before the game, after the game, you aren't just coming to the game. And that's a big shift in Europe, I think. And Darren can talk more about this than I, I think. But I remember what the guys at Barca told us that the average person arrived like less than 30 minutes before a match and then left directly after. Mm. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 100,000 people. So nice. So Darren, when you, when you think about this, if you put your investor hat on for a minute and you were talking through the different sports, we were talking about F1, we we're talking about all these different things. Who do you think has the most to gain? If you're a buyer here, who's somebody that has the brighter future than others in terms of leagues and college sports, pro sports? Which one do you think has a brighter potential than the others? Yeah, if you were to uh, consider all your different sports leagues as stocks, the two that to me jump out for sure that you'd want to invest in right now would be the NBA and uh, MLS here in the United States. And that's primarily because number one, you're seeing on the MLS side, you're seeing an incredible growth in soccer. The younger generation, Gen Z particularly, is very interested in soccer and you know, large, large numbers, much more so than any generation before. You know, the MLS is doing well as a result. 
And then with the NBA, you've got, and really with MLS as well, both of those organizations, the average age of your fan is much younger than like, for example, the MLB, you know, for say. So uh, MLS and NBA both have a very bright future. You also have a lot of global expansion possibilities with those two sports as well. And so there's just, from a revenue perspective, there's a lot of opportunity for more millions and millions of new fans to come into the fold, you know, over the next 10 to 15 years. In, on the MLS front, we've seen a lot of even former athletes get into purchasing one. I think even when I just saw the announcement, was it today that Kevin Durant bought into one of the MLS teams? What do you think is behind that? Is it so celebrity-driven, ownership connection, community-driven that those guys are getting into it, or are they seeing some of the same things you are? Yeah, I think what MLS brings to the table is, again, a very different sort of feel from the other, the big four. They're bringing that European energy you know type of experience so from a fan experience going to a professional soccer match feels very different than going to a football game or a hockey game i go to the iron bowl almost every year and i love the iron bowl being from birmingham alabama but it's very different when you go to an atlanta united game at mercedes and you got 50 to 60 thousand people and you've got the scarves and the singing and the, it's just a completely different culture and different feel and that global connectedness of the sport of soccer is again very appealing to the younger generation gen z they hunger for that global connection and uh, mls is really bringing that you know to the table yeah i agree with that you know going to soccer games i've gone some and darren you may have done the same you know but in the uk and then we kind of copy this is one of the few things where the u.s we kind of copy what we're seeing over in the other countries but yeah fans don't go to a soccer game to watch right like you do a nfl game uh, really even an NBA game, which I would totally agree with what Darren said on the two leagues. But an MLS game or a soccer game, you're part of the action really in many ways. Yeah. And, you know, really, you know, an NFL game, NBA game, a lot of the American sports, the environment almost feels artificial. It's being created by the marketing team, whereas you go to a soccer match and it is completely authentic, totally authentic. And, again, back to the – we've done quite a bit of research. We recently did a project with Coca-Cola where we did some research around Generation Z and fandom, specifically with Generation Z. And one of the things that we know about Generation Z is they are hungry for authenticity, big time hungry for authenticity. And again, soccer brings that to the table in a way that other sports really don't. Tell me more about that. I'm trying to get my arms around that. I had been to one big time football match in the UK. It was Chelsea playing Inter Milan. And I remember the feeling and the singing and things like that. But aren't there also elements of that in the student section of football games? Or, and maybe that's what you're talking about, is just that in football, it tends to be relegated more to the student sections where people are more involved. But riff on that a little bit more about getting a stadium of 75,000 American football fans versus a stadium of 75,000 European football fans. Yeah, I would say college football probably is the closest to a European soccer match in terms of because of the connectedness, you're, when it comes to a college football team, you have a level of connection to that team that is typically very different than you do for your NHL team or your NBA mm -hmm. team. And the same yeah. is true of European football. European football, your dad and your granddad and your great-granddad, and it's, yeah, it's, it's tribal. It's, yeah, it's all that. So really the two are very similar in that nature. Got it. Got it. Are there ways to take some of these other sports and to introduce that? Or is it just, I guess that comes back to your authentic thing, that maybe it comes across as too contrived to make an NHL San Jose Sharks game feel like an Inter Milan, AC Milan match? Yeah, what do you think on that, what do you think on that one, Kirk? Yeah, I was going to say that if you think about America's pastime, Major League Baseball, what are they going to do? Because right now they're 
average age of their fan is, I think, deceased. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, anyway, it's old. Well, this year they're talking about not even having a season, so it's everything's dead. Well, and you've seen some of the jokes about if they require only 25% attendance, well, will that change anything? Uh, sounds about right. <laughs> um, so, by the way, and I love going to the baseball games, so just saying. So your question was, can other major league sports learn something and adapt something from you know, the more engaged sports, particularly soccer, Euro style. And I think it's possible. Uh, Major League Baseball has, of course, been the stodgiest, if you will. But if they were actually willing to adjust the game, a la cricket. So cricket, you know, there's a long match, <laughs> days long. Apparently, this is still a thing. Some places I've never been to one that long. However, they've adjusted it now to a three-hour game. It's just like going to a baseball game here, except for more fun in some ways. Mm. So the point is, if, if cricket can move from three days to three hours, is there any way that baseball could make some similar adjustments to make it to where the younger generations would see it as a fun, engaging, we're part of the action, like cricket in the UK? I forget what you call that short form. But anyway, they'd have to make some serious changes. And I don't know if they're willing to or not. So Kirk, one of the things you talk about, the tribal nature of it. I know one of the things I've heard you passionate about right now, just in light of recent events in our country, is just the corporate social responsibility that each team, university might have. And maybe it's even a way to reconnect the community to their tribe, to their university there. Could you riff on that a little bit? What kind of opportunity is there for these programs and teams to reconnect? Yeah, see, I think like everything we do, I guess there's a spiritual you know, element to this question in particular, but same as for Darren and me, why we have our programs is really to instill integrity and help people live lives of faith back to the sustainability issue. You know, I think that conservative Christians stereotype, and I am one. So, you have know, seeded the higher ground on environmentalism and sustainability and so on to progressives. And I said, yeah, hey, we don't worship the world. We don't worship the earth. Maybe I do or don't believe in global warming, whatever. But I think that that's missing perhaps the broader opportunity and the opportunity to speak into an important space, which is I think we can all agree that we should be good stewards of whatever we have. Liberals, conservatives ought to both be able to agree we should be good stewards of whatever God has given us. So for sustainability issues, what better time is there now than I just released an article on Forbes.com today on this very issue, which is, aren't there ways that corporate partners can team with sports properties to co-brand, communicate ways to reduce waste, conserve energy, stay healthy, any number of things that would make our environment, our world better and reach sustainability goals and improve our positioning in the minds of probably everybody. Mm. Especially in light of what you're talking about with Gen Z looking for a different type of experience and understanding. And maybe some of those sustainability concerns would be different for this newer generation of sports fans that are attending sports events. So let's talk a little bit more about that newer generation. So not only are you professionals in sports marketing and in sales and sports analytics, but you're also teachers, you're educators, you're seeing 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds coming through your programs. And you're not just in any programs, you're at two of the largest faith driven universities in America. So tell us a little bit about how each of your faith, and we'll stay with you, Kirk, how each of your faith informs the way 
that you look at the world of sports and the way you teach kids? Yeah, um, great question. So I know both Baylor and Sanford are similar in that we integrate faith with learning. They're not two separate things. So that's number one, those two things go side by side. And it's also similar, if you will, with science, right? So, you know, you can believe in science and faith. It makes me think of a podcast I listened to the other day from BioLogos, I believe, mm-hmm. with Tim Keller and uh, the head of the uh, NIH. So we see science, learning, faith, those all go together. My own motivation and our express purpose for our program is to instill integrity in the business of sports and entertainment. And you do that kind of one student at a time by recruiting people who are identifying with your goals of living lives of integrity, integrated lives that means faith with your work. And then it's our great opportunity to model that. And then I think the best part for me, I bet Darren would say the same, best part for us is after they graduate. And then, so now since first graduates in 06, we're actually organizing Zoom class reunions. We did one this summer, it worked so great. Now we're doing them by pairs of years. And I have class captains and they're pulling them all together and we get to see them and hear about their success. And then when they reach out and they have problems, they talk with us and we get to speak the gospel into their lives and they know that's coming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when they call us, um, I mean, that's what's the joy. Oh, that's awesome. I'm sure there's also great encouragement and accountability from their classmates about how they're seeing their faith exercise itself while they're working at the Spurs or the Mavs. And knowing that they're part of a greater, we talked about tribes earlier in the podcast, how they're part of a larger tribe that's even more important than the organization that they work with in the NBA or MLS. Um, Darren, how would you answer that question? Yeah, I mean, that's core to everything we do is we just have a passion for wanting to raise up the next generation of sports industry executives that, first of all, recognize that they're going to have significant cultural influence. Because if you work in sports, right or wrong, you're going to have major cultural influence. And, mm-hmm. and then realizing as a follower of Christ that we have a responsibility to leverage that in a way that brings glory to Christ. And so we work really hard during their four years that they're in our program to really flesh that out and make them understand that that's true. And it's, it's almost like a light switch. <laughs> I mean, you go from being a student and you're just a student, right? And then you get hired. I had a student last year, they got hired by the Texans, for example. And it was remarkable. Within two months of her being hired at the Texas, she was already being asked to speak at a college class at a university there in Houston. And she texted me and she goes, oh my gosh, you're right. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So, so it's just really neat to see that. And another big part of what we try to install in our kids is this idea of excellence. Because, you know, at the end of the day, no one wants to follow anyone who's just average. And so yeah. we really, really stress that we want to be excellent in everything that we do. We do a lot of class projects with, you know, big sponsors like, you know, I've already mentioned Coca-Cola. We've done projects with Nike and the Miami Dolphins. And when we show up on their campuses or at their fields or wherever to present, we want it to be the absolute best presentation that they've ever heard, period. And that's always our goal. And so we really work hard to instill that idea of excellence because, again, as followers of Christ, we should be excellent at everything that we do. And so uh, that's part of what kind of what we're all about. Let me add to Darren, jump on board with what he was saying, which is one of our mottos is go the second mile. Uh, of course, we have it on scripture and we've got it on some boards in the classroom. We have seven values that we follow that basically I stole from Andy Stanley on his leadership podcast. 
we had six and then we added the seventh, which I think encompasses the other six, but it is go the second mile. It makes me think this last semester, Darren, uh, before we had to go to online, I remember asking my class and I tell them, you're going to get an average grade if you do the minimum. You're going to get a seven out of 10 if you turn something in and you do just what I asked. And so then I came in and, you know, we had some back out a bunch of seven and eights. I go, how many of y'all are thinking about what you want to do when you get out of here, man? I tell you what, I am going to be average. <laughs> how many of that's y'all? Yeah. Well, okay. But you just turned in a bunch of reports where you did the minimum, where I said, you know, tell us five things. And what did you do? You gave me five things. Why not do six? Why not do seven? Is that all you learned was those five things? So I think having that same mentality for those who are listening, right? You're always thinking, you know, what's the minimum? Do I want to be average? Gosh, that's boring. You know, instead, what can I do to go the second mile? And that's what Darren was talking about. I think when you're excellent, you're going the second mile, not just, you know, the minimum. Yeah. And uh, to piggyback off that, we talk quite a bit about the Old Testament character of Daniel. If you look at Daniel in the Old Testament, there's an example of an individual who was not a pastor or a preacher. He was a political consultant in a very, very pagan culture, had tremendous cultural influence, right? And over that 70-year period of time, had great influence for the kingdom. But he did it by being excellent because it says right at the very beginning of the book of Daniel, he was brought before the king. And the king says in the book of Daniel that the king found him 10 times better. He was an outstanding political consultant, in other words, for the king. And so that excellence is what gave him the ultimate platform and to have the influence. And so that's one of the ways that we kind of try to instill that. Guys, it's been great to have you guys on the podcast. One of the places where we'd like to land and finish, and you guys have already pointed us there, is back to Scripture. And just to see where God has you in this unique season that you're in as we're in the summer getting ready for a, a very unique fall that might be coming. What is a verse or a passage in Scripture where God might have you that you could share with our listeners. Darren, let's start with you, and then Kirk, we'll give you the last word. All right, very good. So I would say for me, it's, you know, I, I have discovered, I've been a, a follower of Christ since you know, 30, 40 years, but just within the last few years, I've discovered this area of what's known as biblical theology, which is looking at the Bible holistically as the meta narrative and have, you know, fallen in love with the Bible Project podcast, for example, and some of the videos that they put out. And so so it's really not one particular scripture. It's really looking at the entirety of scripture through that lens. And, you know, really, it's just reignited my faith, deepened my faith in ways I, I just can't get enough of it. And just on and on it goes. And so if your listeners have, if they're not familiar with the concept of biblical theology, I would highly recommend they might want to Google Bible Project and check it out. It's uh, some really, really cool stuff. That's great. Yeah, we had Jonathan Collins on the podcast recently and just big fans of the Bible Project. So it's always great to point to them. Kurt, to you, final word. You know, I think part of our roles as teachers and Darren, you know, having a background in coaching and mine not quite as much, but but really good salespeople are and good educators are good coaches, which means you're trying to instill discipline or disciple others. So what I think about is that means you're consistent, you're diligent day in and day out. So what I think about is, you know, just your daily walk in Bible study and Bible reading. But if you're one of your disciple, how easy is it today that I'm just saying, well, I just pulled up this morning from our reading. Uh, I've got a buddy who's a executive in the sports business. And each day we do a version Bible app 
reading through the New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, and then we interact with each other. We do this through church and small groups that you can do through the Bible app, but you are consistently teaching others, including previous students who accepted Christ while here. I'm sure Darren said the same thing, who accepted Christ while here in the program and then continue on in discipleship. And so we still have that opportunity and what's well, the joy really of uh, doing that. So the verse that this morning that speaks to that, Psalms 51, 12 and 13 says, give me again the joy that comes from your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach sinners your commands and they will turn back to you. And it, it's interesting to me that kind of causal relationship that give me again the joy that comes from salvation and makes me willing to obey you then. So change my will, change my bent to obey you. Then I will teach sinners your commands, but you can't do that without obeying first. So obey so that I can teach. And then when I teach and they turn back, they repent, they change their ways. That's what brings the joy of salvation. I mean, there's no greater joy that we ever have than sharing Christ with somebody who didn't know him, right? And then they say, I want to know him. Or they know him, but they've you know, gotten far from God, and now they're drawn closer. I mean, now that's joy. Awesome. Such a great word, such a great reminder, Kirk, there to remind us of what it is all about. So we are grateful for both of you guys, grateful for the ways that you're investing in the next generation of leaders in sports and the opportunities that they have to influence their teams, their programs, their cultures all around them. Just grateful for the time that you spent with us. As we finish up, we like to spotlight a ministry that is locking arms with our listeners. We know that many listening to the show are business owners and entrepreneurs looking to live out your faith in the marketplace. So this week, we wanna make sure everyone knows about the Faith Driven Entrepreneur. It's a weekly podcast, a monthly newsletter, a daily blog, along with other video Bible studies and events that help you get provisioned for the journey you are on. Check it out at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. Thank you very much for joining us for today's show. The best way to stay connected with us is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenathlete.org. We're very grateful for the opportunity to serve the larger faith-driven community. Come check out our podcast at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org and also faithdriveninvestor.org. We, of course, want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you. And it's been very rewarding to see listeners coming to the sites from more than 100 countries. It's very important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your journey one that you're proud of and that you'll share with others. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music by Carl Kegwell. You can see more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. 